0: Every week at Southern Grace, we love to preach. Uh, we love to open up God's Word because God's Word is all we need for life and godliness. Um, God's Word is our authoritative Word. It's how we know how to live. It's a light unto our feet. Uh, and we're a church passionate about knowing, applying, and proclaiming the gospel. And the gospel is contained in God's Word. And so we like to give due attention to that as we read and preach every week. And so we're going to be preaching from Ephesians chapter 5 today. Um, We're going through a series on the letter to Ephesians. Um, It was written about 2,000 years ago by the Apostle Paul, uh, but it has extreme relevance for us today. Every word of God is relevant for us today. And so would you turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5? If you don't have a Bible, we have um, spare Bibles at the back and it will also be on the screen Ephesians chapter 5. This letter really is a beautiful letter. It's a love letter from a a pastor to his church. Uh, Paul planted the church in Ephesus some 10 years before writing this letter, and the church had grown and expanded. It was like us one day, you know, When we don't have 50 guests, (laughs) there's 30 or 40 of us. It was small, but then it spread and spread throughout all of Asia. Now, 10 years later, Paul's writing to them to instruct them again in the gospel and what that means for how they're to live. And so we've been going through the first four chapters, and now we're into chapter 5. The first half of the book really is, you know, what God has done to save his people. And the second half of this letter is how God wants us to live in light of that salvation. Um, And so as we come into it today, just there's a little bit of context for you. Would you read with me? Ephesians chapter five, verse one and two. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we ask that you would bless the preaching of your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's been said... Oh, that was an amen from the kid. That's good. (laughs) Train him young. It's been said that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, um, you know, Oscar Wilde said that. I'm not entirely sure of the context, so I'm not going to pretend to know it, but you can see how when someone imitates someone else, it is a deep sign of respect and admiration and love. At times it can be annoying. You know, This morning I yelled out something to my kids, kids we're going, and I heard, kids we're going. I said, hey! Not that type of imitation, but imitation which, you know, is someone looking up to someone else and be like, I want to be like them, I want to dress like them, wear my hair like them, fashion myself after them. You know, that's a a flattering or respecting, encouraging thing to do. It demonstrates you admire them, you respect them, you like them. Um, When I was a teenager... Uh, I had a pretty embarrassing season of imitation. I don't know if you did too. When I was a teenager, I really liked heavy metal music. Um, and I really, even some, no, I wasn't totally emo, but I liked that kind of style, if you know what that is. And so out of admiration and respect for like, those hardcore bands, I decided to start wearing black jeans and black t-shirts. And I even dyed my hair black, you know. <laughs> I had kind of, I used to live down in the Shire, so I had like long kind of surfy hair, and I dyed it black, and then, you know, I would only do it once every six months, so half of it would be black, and half of it would be blonde, it would look terrible, Uh, but I was imitating those bands because I thought they were so cool and so hardcore, and here's like a really embarrassing thing, Um, (laughs) one time I went to a concert, and to imitate everyone else who was there. I wore eyeliner. <laughs> I got my mum to put on black eyeliner. And I went to the concert like, yeah, I'm so <laughs> hardcore. But I looked obviously like a joke. Uh, and so, but part of it was because I wanted to be like them. I wanted to, you know, feel, fit in. I wanted them to think I was cool like them. Kids like to imitate their parents. Sometimes my son will wear the exact same outfit as me and swap it around once he sees what I'm wearing because he wants to be like me. Hopefully because he admires and respects me. And for all of us, there's probably people in our life that we respect, admire, and that we want to become like. Uh, it's, it's In some ways, it's unavoidable even, imitation. Even if you don't want to become like someone, if you spend enough time around them, you will become like them. How many of us, when we were growing up, thought, I will never be like my parents? And then the older and older you get, realize, I'm exactly like my parents. Imitation is unavoidable. Uh, we, We mimic those who we love and respect and spend a lot of time around. And in this passage, Paul is using this idea of imitation to talk to the Christian church of who they are to imitate themselves, who they are to admire and respect and adore and increasingly become like. And as you saw in the reading, it's very clear who they are to imitate. So there's two points really in this sermon today. It's a very simple sermon. Point number one, imitate God. Point number two, imitate Jesus. And one real kind of summary statement that kind of puts it all together. As children of God, we are to live and love like God. So a question for you this morning before we jump into our first point is, who are you trying to become like? Who are you imitating in your life? Let's jump into point number one, imitate God. Let's read our text again. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. The first word in that sentence is therefore, which indicates that he's building upon an argument that was there previously. So if we go back, if you're new and joining us this week, um, we've been preaching through chapter 4 and in chapter 4, the Apostle Paul begins with this statement that we are to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to walk, to live our whole life in a way that's worthy of God himself, worthy of the calling to which we've been called, worthy of our salvation. And then he outlines what it looks like to live in a worthy manner. Um, through 1 through 16, he talks about living in unity, using our gifts to build up the body, And then in verse 17, the Apostle Paul says to them again, do not walk as the Gentiles do. Do not live as the Gentiles do. He's saying, don't live like your old self anymore. Once you become a follower of Jesus, you're meant to live a new life. So don't walk like you used to. You've got to find a new way to walk. And then in the next verses, 20 through 32, he outlines what it looks like to walk in a new way. First of all, it means putting off the old self. So putting off our instinctive, natural human desires, learned or grown over time. To renew our mind, that means to fill it with God's ways and thoughts from Scripture and the, and the message of the gospel. And then to put on the new self in verses 23 um, is what, uh, and 24, that's what Paul says. To live as a new person, to be a radically new person, not like you're old, but a totally new. And then in verse 25 to 32, the Apostle Paul gives 13 different commandments about what it looks like to put off, renew, and put on. Things like put off falsehood, put on um, truth, put on righteous anger, and put off unrighteous anger, put off stealing, and put on sharing and giving, put off corrupting talk, talk that brings people down, that discourages, that slanders, and gossipy, and put on encouraging speech. And then finally, put off a bitter, angry, wrathful heart and put on kindness and love. And then, to summarize that whole chapter and really the summary of the entire Christian life, the highest virtue of all, chapter 5, verse 1, therefore, in light of all of that, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. When you slow down and you think about that sentence, that is a staggering command. Be imitators of who? God, the eternal God, the all wise, all knowing God, the omnipotent God, the just, holy, merciful, loving, joyful, creative, beautiful, powerful God. Be imitators of Him. That's a high standard. To be an imitator, Paul is saying here, make your whole being, your continual life as a follower of Jesus, is to imitate, to mimic, to copy, to follow the pattern, to look to, to identify with God. God himself, in all his beauty and majesty. It's a staggering command. As I read it many times this week, it, when you think about like what that would actually look like to do that, it did take my breath away. I was thinking, How? I mean, how could one possibly imitate God? Try it, even for the next hour. <laughs> you know, there's so many characteristics of God we cannot imitate. Um, there's so many things about God that are like almost impossible for us to do, even if we take away those kind of attributes of God which we can never have, like Creator and All-Present and All-Powerful and All-Knowing. Just take His mercy or His, His love or His justice. To imitate God for even an hour is unapproachable in its demand. But Paul isn't just saying imitate God in every single aspect. He's actually narrowing his focus a little because the therefore is to teach us it comes from somewhere. So what does it look like in particular in this passage for us to imitate God? Well, let's look back to verse 31 and 32, and I think Paul is actually narrowing our focus to see one particular set of attributes of God that we are to imitate as Christians, in church, as believers, and in all of our life. Look back at 31 and 32. It should be on the screen for you. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander, so that like shouting and slander, gossip, be put away from you along with all malice, that's ill will towards others. Verse 32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God. So the link Paul is making for us is that to be like God in this particular circumstance is to imitate him in these three characteristics. He's saying, brothers and sisters in Ephesus and in Parramatta and wherever you live, be kind like God. It's a beautiful thought. Be kind. Isn't it amazing that God is kind? He doesn't have to be. He chooses to be kind. Be tender-hearted like God. Isn't that also amazing that God is not distant and aloof and cold, but tender in His heart towards us? He loves people, and be forgiving like God? You see, Paul is saying that we, as we imitate Him, the summary and virtue of Christian life is to be like God, and in particular, to be kind, to be tender-hearted, and to be forgiving. Now, we all may have different conceptions of God as we come here this morning, depending on our background, what we've been taught, or what we've experienced. For some of us, you may be thinking, oh, that's, not, <laughs> that's not naturally how I think of God. I think of God as angry God. I think of God as nitpicky God. Perhaps you think of God as distant God, not near when you need Him. Perhaps you think of God as cruel God, not doing good for you when you needed Him to do good. Perhaps you see him as cold or unfeeling, just a a being out there somewhere in the universe looking upon humanity but not involved or invested. Perhaps you're disappointed with God. Or perhaps you don't even think God exists. Wherever we come at with our different perceptions of who God is... What we do as followers of Jesus is we turn to the Bible to find out what God is like and then conform our idea of God to how he's revealed himself. Not just our experience, because they're subjective, but we go to the objective truth of God's word. So how do we know what God is like? Even if we've all had different experiences and teachings and beliefs, how do we know? Well, the Christian God, the God who's revealed himself in the Bible, has actually made it clear to us. We don't have to guess. In fact, we don't get to guess. We don't have to make it up, and we're not allowed to make it up, because he's told us who he is. In Exodus, um, after God had led the uh, the Israelites out of Egypt and saved them from their bondage to slavery, God gave them the Ten Commandments through Moses, and then they broke them already just as soon as they got them, so they didn't have a good track record, and then God was going to break out against them and, you know, destroy them for their sin, which was right and just and holy, though it seems harsh to us. Moses intercedes and says, God, please don't do that. Have mercy, have kindness upon them. And so God relents, doesn't pour out his justice upon them. And then Moses comes to God, even after he's seen him in the burning bush, even after he's seen him all the miracles, even after he's received the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai with the smoke and the thunder and the lightning and hearing the voice of God. And he says, God, Show me your glory. Show me what you are like and who you are. And the Lord replies, I will, I will show you not my full self because you can't see me. Otherwise, you would die because I'm holy and you're not. But he says, I will make my glory pass before you and I will proclaim my name. Now, for God to proclaim his name is to proclaim his very essence of being. This is a self-disclosure moment. This is God putting up his profile pic and you know, his description on Facebook, exactly who he wants to be seen as. So let's read it in Exodus 34. If we're going to imitate God, what is God actually like? So the Lord passed before him, that is Moses, and proclaimed. So this is who, how God wants to reveal himself. The Lord, the Lord. This is how God wants us to know him. In the Old and New Testament, same God. No difference between God and the Old and the New. It's the same. It's the same today. He doesn't change. He's the Lord, the self-existent being who's merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger. He really is. If you think about it, there's 7 billion people on earth. If 7 billion people sin once a day, that's 7 billion offenses against you. (laughs) Over a week, that's 49 billion offenses against you. And I won't go on with the math. Yet God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve instantly. He keeps steadfast love for thousands. So this is the measure of his love. It's to thousands of generations, to many people forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Now, he is just and holy, but you see that even in his justice and his holiness, he visits to the third and fourth generation. Thousands for mercy and grace, three or four for justice. And here we see the default nature of who God is and who we are to imitate. A God of tender kindness and forgiving all of our sins. So when we think, okay, what does it look like? I'm a follower of Jesus. Okay, the highest virtue is to be a follower of God. What does that look like? Well, fathers with your children, mothers with your children, husbands with your wives, friends living together, children to their parents, workers to their colleagues, commuters on the bus with annoying people, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, we're called to be kind because god is kind we're called to be tender-hearted that means we look upon people with compassion rather than instantly judging them for the annoying things that they do and we forgive because we know of the forgiveness we have in christ so why should we want to be like this What's the kind of motivation or the logic? That's a high command. Like, Welcome to church. Be like God. Okay. Whoa. Um, why, why do we want to be like this? What's the motivation that the Apostle Paul gives? One of the amazing things about Christianity that often people get mixed up is that the motivation, we often think about Christianity is like, rules, do this, or you get punished, go to hell, and, you know, God's angry, and we're just trying to avert his anger by doing enough good things. If we do enough good things, we'll get in his good books, and we get to heaven. That's kind of often people's view of Christianity. But actually, the way it works is an opposite motivation. We're called to do things because of the identity that we now have in Christ and the grace we now have in Christ. So look back at verse 1. What's the motivation? Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. You see, we imitate because of who we now are. If you're a follower of God, if you're a follower of Jesus, you now are adopted into the family. You're not like just a servant in a king's house. You're not a soldier in a king's army. You're a child in the king's court, in his own home. You're loved. You're adopted. You're in permanently you have the inheritance as children and so as children now you are in the family so you love the father you want to become like your dad you want to live like he is so as Christian believers as followers of Jesus and if you're not yet a follower this is what it looks like to be one you see yourself as a child I'm not doing these things to get God's approval so I can be a child of God I do these things because I'm a child of God, and I approve of Him, and I want to become like Him. The logic's the opposite. You don't have to fulfill imitation of God to be saved. No, you come to God in your weakness, you become a child, and then you want to be like this. You, your heart wants to be kind and tender hearted and loving. You want to be holy and righteous and just in all that you do. It's a sign that you're a true follower of God, is you want to become like your Father. But it's not just children. We're not just children. We're actually beloved children. You see, depending on what your parents were like and your background, you could be like, yeah, I know what it's like to have a demanding father who's strict in rules and standards, but no love. But in fact here, the Apostle Paul and through the Holy Spirit is saying that we are called to be like God because we are his beloved children. He looks upon you and I with kindness, with tenderness and forgiving love. And so therefore, become like him. Live like him. This frees us to, to think, okay, how can I be like my dad? Because he loves me and he knows me and he'll forgive me when I, when I muck it up. But I want to be like him. So a question for us all as we think about this command today is, do you, in your heart of hearts, want to become like God? Is that a goal in life? Be imitators of God. To be honest, it's something I think more about with Jesus. I think, okay, imitate Jesus. But as I reflected on it this week, it was actually such an encouraging command to have in my mind. Command, I say it like that, but it's, it's like a way of life. I was thinking, what would it be like to be like God to my family this week? To be like God when I'm out and about, to be kind and tender and loving and all those things. It's a beautiful picture of what we could be like as a church community and as families. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. So as children of God, we are to live and love like God. That was point number one, be imitators of God. Point number two, though, Paul's not done. He's, he's trying to summarize this whole ethical command, and he gives us another person to imitate. So not only if you thought that was hard, be like God. Well, now you get a more concrete example. Point number two, imitate Jesus. Read verse two with me. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Again, Paul is instructing the Ephesian church. What does it look like to be a new creature in Christ? You're a child of God. You're a new being. What do you do? Okay, high virtue. Be like God. Second, walk in love. To walk, as I said earlier, is a summary statement of your entire being. You know, ancient people, they walked everywhere. They didn't jump in the car, they walked. So to walk represents who you really are. And if you watch people, even though some people still walk these days, um, we walk more in Australia. I used to live in America. No one walked in the South in America. There's no footpaths. Even if you want to walk, you can't walk. Everyone's meant to drive. But in Australia, you still walk. There's footpaths, and you can press a little button. And if you are a little bit of a people watcher like I am, you can watch people walk. And it's funny watching people walk because you learn a lot about someone. There's a guy who lives opposite us. He's probably 16, 17. But every day I see him walking back from Northmead, creative, performing outside, whatever it's called, like this, with headphones in. Da, 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 like that, every day, happy and joyful. And we used to live in Thornley, and we saw the same thing. A, a lady would walk past our window every day, woo, massive smile on her face. I think, what has she had for breakfast? I want that. I want to be that type of person. It obviously reveals there's something about her. She's actually just... Happy or blissfully unaware of the world around her, but she's happy. There's a joy. Some people are trudging, you know, they that kind of Eeyore walk. Some people are like multitask walking. That's me with the phone. It's like, I will walk and get five emails done and read this thing. Some people, you know, are actually... Good when they walk with their kids, I'm not. But my wife is. When she walks with the kids, they walk slowly and they observe birds and flowers and things. And, and when I'm walking with them, I get up, I look up, I'm like, oh, they're like 50 meters back. And I'm like, hurry up, guys. We don't even have a time pressure we're on. For some reason, when I'm walking, I'm like, we've got to walk. Let's just go. And I'm not very tenderhearted. I'm a bit, you know, hard. How we walk reveals a lot about us. It reveals our values and our demeanor and the way we view life. How, are you, how do you walk? I mean, just generally. I mean, it's not a very deep question. What type of walker are you? But here Paul is saying the total summation and entirety of our life, the way we are to walk as followers of Jesus is in love. People should be able to identify and be like, oh, they must be followers of Jesus because they love like him. They walk in love. Their whole being is love. They're always looking to love. And it's a virtue that, you know, in society everyone likes. Everyone, you know, likes the idea of being loving. It's, you know, pretty much everyone. Let's say 99% of people think love is a good virtue and then there's 1% of people which are just evil. But there's 99% of people think love is a good virtue. However, love is a difficult one to define. What does it mean to walk in love? Love. You know, uh, love can be all types of different things to different people. Uh, you know, in the great film, it's not great, it's actually quite immoral, but this, the film Semi-Pro with Will Farrell, his rule for the team, the basketball team, the Flint Tropics, is everybody love everybody. That's his rule, his command. In our culture, we have the saying, love is love. Um, that's, that's one way of defining love. Love is a feeling that we have that we can't control. Um, it's an affection, a desire for other people. Uh, and that, you know, in, in our current state of society, we've expanded the horizon of what is acceptable forms of love. But the problem with a definition like that and just a vague definition is that it doesn't have any boundaries. It doesn't have any rights and wrongs. Because we say love is love and people hashtag it and believe it and put it on their Facebook thing. But then when a 65-year-old man wants to say love is love with an 8-year-old girl, we go, no, 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 that's not love. That's sick. That's wrong. Well, how? How do we know? How do we put definition or boundaries on an emotional feeling? We need a better definition of love. And that's exactly what Paul gives us in this passage. What does it look like to walk in love for your whole walk and being of life to be in love? Look at the rest of verse 2. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice <clears throat> to God. In this definition, love is not this squishy, sentimental feeling. It's not a feeling at all, not primarily. In this definition, we are to love like Christ loved us. How did Christ love us? Through self giving sacrificial, substitutionary love. You see, love, according to the gospel and the way of Jesus, is a decision to act for the good of someone else's benefit, even to the detriment of oneself. That is love. Love is a decision more than a feeling. It's an action more than like a, you know, a romantic gesture. Love is love is not quite good enough. Love like Christ, now we can work with that because how did Christ show it well Paul says three things Christ loved us which just in and of itself is an incredible statement that we would be loved by the king of the universe but how did he love us he gave himself up love gives up love sacrifices as the parents who are now you know Especially John and Claire, who just had a baby. You you know that now in a new way this, this desire to self sacrifice for the good of your children. You get it in a new way. Love involves self sacrifice. Jesus gave himself up willingly, he offered himself to God. He wasn't forced to the cross by an angry father who needed to deal with sin. They planned it together for you and I. He gave himself up for us. The us there is all of sinful humanity who've trusted in Christ. For us. Why would Christ, the King of heaven, give himself up for rebellious sinners? That's because his love is unconditional love. Love which looks upon an enemy. Love which looks upon those that are unlovely. Love that looks upon those who hurt him and still goes ahead and loves. That's what love looks like. It's easy to love those who love you. It's easy to love those who are like you. But for those you who are enemies, Christ's love teaches us how we're to relate even to them. And finally, His love was a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. His love was substitutionary love. The fragrant offering and sacrifice brings us back to the Old Testament system of sacrifices which would appease God's wrath. When we sin against God, we're deserving of death and judgment. That's what the Bible says. But to appease God's wrath, in a sense, they would sacrifice an animal and burn it in the temple. And the smell of the animal would go up to the Lord. And metaphorically, it would appease his wrath in the sense that he would look down and see death has been committed because that's how serious sin is. And now Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, has come and stood in our place for our sin and has made, been an acceptable sacrifice to God love subs in when other people can't do it so what does it look like to love well our highest example and the greatest picture of love is Christ himself and especially Christ on the cross this is the love we have received and this is the love we get to give to one another So the logic of this passage is fill your mind with the love of God, fill your thoughts and affections with the ways and, you know, the path of Jesus. Read and study the Gospels, know what he's like, see how he loves, and then walk in love like him. 1 John 3.16 says this, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Practically, self-sacrifice is going to be painful. To love like this means to choose to love when we don't feel like it, to people we don't feel like loving, at times when we don't want to do it. But this is the privilege that we have, because we have been loved in such a way. What does it look like at home when you're tired? What does it look like when you're out in public with those don't like you very much what does it look like to love people who don't like you what does it look like to love people who have hurt you what does it look like to love your spouse your parents your friends your family It's to follow after the pattern of jesus to lay down your life for the good of others isn't it an incredibly high standard but an incredibly beautiful virtue Imagine if we live like this. Imagine if our resolve every morning when we sprung out of bed was to imitate God in his kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness, and to imitate Christ in his love, self sacrificial. So that as we enter the day, we make a coffee, we get out in the world, like, who am I gonna love today? Who am I gonna bless? Who am I gonna lay down my wallet for, my time for, my mental energy for, my emotional energy for? Who am I gonna love? Imagine our church, imagine our world. To love like no other. And we had to do it because we were first loved ourselves. And if you are not yet a follower of Jesus, this is not like a command or something that's outside of you. You get to join in this if you come to Christ. You see, each one of us needs a love like this. Each one of us is born to be loved by God. Yet we go astray, we go distant, we lose sight, we get caught up in life and and sin and other things and distractions. But he came and you can come to him even today and he will accept you because he forgives sin to the thousand generations. He loves to show mercy and forgive iniquity. And so no matter what you've done or who you've become or whether you started to follow God and no longer do or you've never yet followed God, we can see in Christ's love that anyone and everyone can come to Him and have all of their junk dealt with decisively. Then you get to become a child. And then you've got a Heavenly Father who loves and cares for you and looks out for you. And then you get to become like Him as a child and as a brother of Christ. So what does it look like to be new humanity, to walk like God? Two points, be imitators of God and be imitators of Jesus in all of our life. We have to live as children of God and love as children of God. Would you pray with me? Lord, it's true that we imitate those we admire, love, and respect. God, would you help us to admire, love, and respect you more so that our whole being and our whole life and every part of us wants to be conformed to your image from one degree of glory to another? God, would you root out of us selfishness, unkindness, hard-heartedness, bitter resentment, Selfish, you know, living that just is consumed with ourselves. And Lord, instead, would you replace us and fill our minds with your love and your grace and your kindness so that we can become like you. Would our church and our friends and our family become more and more like you? And so be a light into Parramatta and be a light into our workplaces and in our families. Lord, help us to walk in love as beloved children.